Kindergarten, Saturdays 1pm to 3pm Eastern Time, right here on Revolution Radio. This is the people's war. It is our war. We are the fighters. Fight it then. Fight it with all that is in us. And may God defend the right. Warning, warning. We gotta stop them. They're gonna kill us all. See how the trouble you've started? Be they the government, be they industry, be they organized labor, be they anyone. Or human beings. Time when the operation of the machine becomes so odious. Makes you so sick at heart. But you can't take part. You can't even passively take part. And you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels, upon the levers, upon all the apparatus, and you've got to make it stop. And you've got to indicate to the people who run it, to the people who own it, that unless you're free, the machine will be prevented from working at all. Revolution Radio of FreedomSlips.com, the number one listener-supported talk radio station, throwing ourselves upon the gears of the machine. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps. You called down the thunder, well now you've got it. Right, you tell them I'm coming, and hell's coming with me, you hear? Hell's coming with me! Revolution We did not engage in conflict that was out of line with our mission. Is it disloyal? Is it sedition? Is it treason to oppose the hands of tyranny? Never! I will never send troops anywhere on a mission of that kind without telling them that if somebody shoots at them, they can darn well shoot back. I know not what course others will take. But as for me, give me liberty! Oh, give me! A dark cloud is finally lifting across the world as U.S. military intelligence and their global partners are destroying the deep state criminal power structure that has ruled over our planet for hundreds of years. We are free with the God-given right, and we shall not yield that right to any power on Earth. Hi, I'm Scott McKay. The world is at, and I am your host on The Tipping Point. On Revolution Radio, where every Monday from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, we bring you the latest in this ensuing takedown of this global criminal empire. That's an image of strength. You'll get the raw, hard truth here on The Tipping Point. So come join us Mondays, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, in Studio B at Revolution.Radio. Thanks for listening while we take that short break here at Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com. And now we're going to get back to your host. All right. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Wherever you are in the world. I'm not Del Big Tree, I promise you. Uh, but it is Saturday and it's, it's 11 o'clock clock on the east coast it's 4 p.m here in the northeast of england and uh that means you're listening to free association uh, my name's dennis and uh, i've been here for three and a half years it, it feels like a lot less but i've been here for three and a half years and uh, there's been a few ups and downs along the way there's been a few technical difficulties there's been uh one or two financial issues along the way to say the least there's been an awful lot of of uh, minor 
minor stuff that becomes big stuff because you can't do anything about it. That seems to be the way my life is. It's like, all right, another thing that I need to sort out. Uh, the latest thing, obviously, is my bladder. But it's I've, I've discovered over the last week that a, a hot bath and a foot massage improves my bladder for whatever reason. There's obviously a ner- there's a nerve thing going on because it's, it's the nerve from, I think, the second vertebrae in your back is the is the nerve that controls your bladder and i've had a a a lower back issue for many many years uh 20 years pretty much i slipped a disc about 20 years ago was in extreme pain for a day and a half maybe just over a day and then i i was literally on the floor and couldn't move trying to sort this pain out I think I must have taken every homeopathic pill that I had in the house, and uh, none of it none of it helped. So in the end, I remembered that I had a an acu- acupressure book on the shelf, and uh, I looked up. I managed to get up off the floor, grab the book, then go straight back down on the floor again, and and I worked out a couple of acupressure points to reduce the pain and to kind of normalize my, my spine a little bit. Anyway, so the, the upshot of that is there's a point behind your knee. If you push your thumb in behind your knee and three or four fingers in front of your knee, that catches two or three points that all influence the, the lower back. And uh, it definitely helps. It definitely helped. And I was back to normal, more or less, with some back pain, but not enough to stop me being in the ha- being out of the house in two days, which I think is pretty good going. Pretty good going. Uh, anyway, so the upshot of that is that I know that anything that involves acu- acupressure or acupuncture meridians is probably going to work. So I was trained... Again, about 20 years ago, so but this is after after all this uh, slip disc business. I was trained in uh, a thing called metamorphic technique, which is a, a very, very light touch foot massage. I mean, it's light touch to the, to the extent that, it's, that it, it, there's almost no touch at all. It's fingertips just being very, very lightly rubbed over your feet. I did that training with a, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was, but it was, I was in Hastings at the time on the South Coast. And, uh, that was one of the things that came up for me to, to do while I was in Hastings. So, so I did it. And, uh, so a one day, one day training course and we all just kind of took turns. The philosophy behind metamorphic technique is multiple dimensions of influence and uh but it's based on reflexology it's kind of comes from reflexology and reflexology is based on the idea that your foot is a mirror of your entire body and that the the curve 
and the inside of your foot is a mirror of your spine. So that's the principle that I use when I'm doing when I'm doing metamorphic technique and I'm working on my feet. I'm working on my spine, and that it seems to help. It's it's definitely helped this week, and uh, my confidence is coming back a little bit more. I've still got a little bit of pain going on now and again, but it's not obvious and it's not all the time. Uh, my bladder is not great, but it's it's manageable some of the time. Uh, I'm still not going out of the house very much, but I am going out a little bit. And I am kind of going, I'm going to the people's kitchen every couple of days, every two or three days. And there's a couple of other places I go to to get a coffee and a breakfast that I'm still going to. So my life's a bit more restricted, but it's not not very restricted. And it is kind of, well, it's it's kind of my, my choice because I don't like being embarrassed by peeing myself when I'm outside. So I just kind of work it out as I go along and I'm adapting. But it's okay. It's all it's all good, really. It'll sort itself out. Uh, I'm waiting to see if I'm going to be sanctioned by by the well the, the welfare department, the government, because I missed an appointment because I was having back pain and bladder trouble a couple of weeks ago, and I still haven't come to a conclusion. I did send them a message requesting a delay in the appointment or a rescheduling of the appointment and said I'm unlikely to make it. Uh, they assumed I had a mobile phone and they made it a telephone appointment. So it's hardly my problem if I can't make a telephone appointment when I don't have a mobile phone. But they made the assumption, so they made the assumption. It's not it's not my big it's not my deal, is it? It's their problem. So but they're still have this two weeks later they still haven't made a decision so i'm waiting to see if i'm going to be sanctioned sanctioning is a, an interesting thing on universal credit it's not quite a social credit score thing but it's pretty close it's very much behavior modification it's very much as you like if, if you if you do anything or say anything that's out of line then potentially you'd leave yourself open to a sanction so you've really just got to tell them exactly what they want to hear in exactly the way they want to hear it. Anything that's not within that narrow range of stuff that they want to hear is potentially creating a problem. Anyway, I don't really like universal credit. I'm stuck on it because nobody wants to give me a job, really. And there's not enough not enough clients to go back to doing Reiki and astrology and all that stuff. I'm pretty sure the market's dry at the moment, so I'm not going to do that for the time being at least. I might go back to it at some point, or if I ever manage to to make money out of the radio, then I'll add the Reiki and astrology and all of that other stuff on as extra, extra potential income. But I don't think there's enough to sustain me in the place that I'm living at the moment. So I'm stuck on welfare. I've been stuck on welfare for a while, it has to be said. But uh, it can't be helped. 
Because you can only do what you can do. I'm, I'm not responsible for the entire global economic situation. All I can be responsible for is my little bit of it. Anyway, I've got I've got a couple of different ways that this show can go. Um, I've been I've got a, a piece set up for for a bit later on with Shunya Murti, who's my favourite creepy cult leader. Uh, but I thought we'll start with a little bit of the uh, situation with Russell Brand. Uh, Andrew Gold did a show last night. Uh, which is talking about a potential problem for Russell Brand uh, with media reports and an investigation. So I'm going to play the first 10 minutes of that, and then I'll I'll play the Shunya Murty piece after that. Uh, if the people in anybody in the chat room, if you could give me uh, a sound check just to make sure you can hear the video, that would be appreciated. And hello to Captain Fred and to Fleeced. 3 p.m. tomorrow, which is when I'm watching my football game, but fine. The time start this from the beginning again. This is huge news. This is massive. And today, basically, earlier today, it was announced. Well, this is all about Russell Brand, and I'm going to get to that in a second, but it was announced that tomorrow is a huge news day in the UK and in the world, really. Um, and basically, at well, uh, a, a commentator called Toby Young announced that at 3 p.m. tomorrow, which is when I'm watching my football game, but fine, the Times are running with like a three-year investigation that is supposed to be the biggest story in years looking into the behavior of, we don't know, and it's gradually emerged this is apparently comedians or TV personalities. Once again, after Hugh Edwards, Philip Schofield, Dan Wooten, it's just nonstop right now. I've just done a live about Ashton Kutcher uh, having to resign from his thing. So it's just nonstop. And I think a lot of these people are being, uh, you know, uh, sorry, this is such a stress right now. Russell Brand has denied everything. And we have no reason to believe that any accusations or allegations from Channel 4, that's who it's supposed to be, apparently, I don't even know that. And the Times are true it isn't it's the dispatches tomorrow night channel four and the times apparently at 3 p.m and all we know is that russell brand is at least one of or the only person who is at the center of all this people have been wondering all day who it is and russell himself has just come out and said that he was approached this is something we have to do you have to send uh, anything that's being uh, alleged in your documentary or your newspaper or whatever to the person who is accused beforehand and give them what we call the right of reply in journalism i've had to do it many times myself uh and well he's taken his right to reply he has six million subscribers on youtube a huge twitter base and so he can uh have his right of reply before they get out there which is probably the smartest decision and it might be he is being royally stitched up i like russell brand i've always liked him uh i think he's funny he's incredibly smart he obviously has a bit of a dark background in some respects uh, because he admits to as much uh but do let's hear from what he's got to say let's hear what he's got to say um on 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 this video it's all just breaking right now so uh let's have a look 
Right. There we go. And let's play. Attack and undermine the news in all its corruption, because in this story, I am the news. I've received two extremely undermining letters, or a letter and an email. One from a mainstream media TV company, one from a newspaper, listing a litany of extremely egregious and aggressive attacks, as well as some pretty stupid stuff, like uh, my community festival should be stopped, that I shouldn't be able to attack mainstream media narratives on this channel. But amidst this litany of astonishing, rather baroque attacks are some very serious allegations that I absolutely refute. These allegations pertain to the time when I was working in the mainstream, when I was in the newspapers all the time, when I was in the movies. And as I've written about extensively in my books, I was very, very promiscuous. Now, during that time of promiscuity, the relationships I had were absolutely always consensual. I was always transparent about that then almost too transparent. And I'm being transparent about it now as well. And to see that transparency metastasized into something criminal that I absolutely deny makes me question, is there another agenda at play? Particularly when we've seen coordinated media attacks before, like with Joe Rogan, when he dared to take a medicine that the mainstream media didn't approve of. And we saw a spate of headlines from media outlets across the world using the same language. I'm aware that you guys have been saying in the comments for a while, watch out, Russell, they're coming for you. You're getting too close to the truth. Russell Brand did not kill himself. I know that a year ago there was a spate of articles. Russell Brand's a conspiracy theorist. Russell Brand's right wing. I'm aware of news media making phone calls, sending letters to people I know. For ages and ages, it's been clear to me, or at least it feels to me, like there's a serious and concerted agenda to control these kind of spaces and these kind of voices. And I mean my voice along with your voice. I don't mind them using my books and my stand-up to talk about my promiscuous, consensual conduct in the past. What I seriously refute are these very, very serious criminal allegations. Also, it's worth mentioning that there are witnesses whose evidence directly contradicts the narratives that these two mainstream media outlets are trying to construct, apparently in what seems to me to be a coordinated attack. Now, I don't want to get into this any further because of the serious nature of the allegations, but I feel like I'm being attacked and plainly they are working very closely together. We are obviously going to look into this matter because it's very, very serious. In the meantime, I want you to stay close, stay awake, but more important than any of that, if you can, please stay free. Well, well. All right, so that's, that's the Russell Brand story. So I haven't checked the, the Times website, but I will do later on. We're, obviously, we're, we're after 4 p.m. here in the UK, so if the Toby Young... Uh, part of the story is is accurate, and the then the the Times should have the story up there by now. But I would imagine they'll they'll put it out coordinated with dispatches. But you can never be sure of these things. Uh, but there's obviously there's obviously something coordinated going on, and it reminds me of the the Andrew Tate case earlier in the year, where Andrew Tate. I'm no no fan of Andrew Tate, uh, but I, I do quite like Russell Brand. Russell Brand's been around for years on British TV, and he's funny. He's an amusing guy. He's a very clever guy, uh, but he's also a, a former heroin addict and sex addict. So he's had some issues along the way. It has to be said, 
but he he uses them to his to his advantage. He's very honest. He's very open about his past. I have a tendency to believe him when he says that that everything was consensual, and it he is he is very very anti-war. So anybody who takes an anti-war stance tends to get snuffed out somewhere down the line. You've just got to look at somebody like John Lennon or Bob Marley, for example. Just two off the top of my head. Uh, yeah, so that's that's the Russell Brand story. So watch this space on that one. <coughs> It'll become a mainstream media story and then everybody has the right to talk about it after that. And he's got six six million people following him, so he's he's got he should almost be the, the creepy cult leader of the week, shouldn't he, really? He's he's got a bit of a guru thing going on. Which I don't like particularly. But he's also got some some hard hitting truth stuff going on. He was also in a relationship with Jemima Goldsmith at one point. So he's been he's been in relationships with very high profile people, and and he's a very he's 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 full of drama. Russell Brand, he's every, his whole life's been drama. So this is just another part of the the Russell Brand drama, and uh, he can turn he can turn it to his advantage because he always does, and he will he obviously will. Uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna leave that story there because it's it just popped up about half an hour before I went on air, so I don't really have an opinion about it as yet. I shall uh, I shall wait until I read the Times article or or see dispatches before I've got an opinion. So let's move on to another creepy cult leader. This is a guy called Shunya Murti, who's pretty much in uh, an ashram in Costa Rica. This is back to the the Dance of Shiva theme. So back to the theme that was the middle of August. Uh, and this was actually going to be the show that I, part of the show that I did on the day that I, I started having the, the back and bladder problems. So so this, this gets us back on track for where where I want to take the the show. So this is Shunyamurti. It's about half an hour, but it's it's a good piece. It's very very clearly kind of thought through and presented. So I'm going to let it play. And it's as I said, back to the dance dance of Shiva. So it occurred to me that it might be useful uh, for us all to have a a, a unified map of reality. So uh, it came to me to draw a very simple one. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> he just drew a point on a whiteboard. Now we could add, you are here, and put an arrow. That's the zero point. That's what we refer to as Paramashiva. That infinitesimal point of light is what is 
prior to the manifestation of any universe. <clears throat> now, Shiva doesn't like to be alone. And how can you blame that poor point? <laughs> so he's now drawing a circle what Shiva does first is around the point. a field in which uh, potentiality can be active, actualized. Okay? So this is uh, Parama Shiva, Supreme Shiva. There are other levels of Shiva. That's why we specify that. This is the level that is the ultimate reality. And this entire field uh, that nowadays we could call the quantum unified field, although it's actually more subtle than that, and the quantum field is uh, a, a congealing within the field, but the field itself was traditionally referred to in Vedic times. Nirgun Brahman, why? Because the field itself has no collapsed wave functions and therefore it is unmanifest, its potentiality. When it begins to manifest forms, uh, a world, then it becomes Saguna Brahman. But now it's Nirguna Brahman. <clears throat> and what happens from this point of light is that at a certain moment, Shiva emits a pulsation. And that pulsation expands around it, okay? It, but it will continue to expand until it reaches the event horizon of the edge of Brahman, and then it will contract again. This energy that is expanding out uh, in, in its expansive phase, we call the pravriti, and when it begins to move Back inward, it's the nivriti. <clears throat> this spanda itself, the energy and the information contained in that pulse, is referred to as parashakti. <clears throat> the energy is the spanda that emerges, and this energy field that science even perceives as an expanding universe, and it is expanding, although not in the same way that they understand, because it's mind that's expanding. This is what is referred to as the goddess. Shiva remains as the point that's transcendent and unmanifest, and the goddess, this pulse emerges as a world, a dream field that is a world that as it, the pulse first emerges from the point, it's in perfect order, a perfect circle, a sphere, actually, of, of perfectly balanced energies. And, and in that first uh, uh, emission and, and expansion, it creates a Satyuga, a world in which the perfection of all that is within this condensed point of infinite mass, of, of, of infinite power and, and information and uh, light uh, and, and all of the, 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 the potency of God uh, is, emerges as a, a world that reflects the miraculous.
the beautiful, the good, the pure, the divine. It's a world of gods and goddesses, not of humans yet. But as the sphere expands, the order becomes less. There is an entropy and and it begins at a certain point uh, to become chaotic. And when it reaches the edge of total chaos, that's when it begins to return. But when it begins to return, some of the energies are still going outward. So you have a, a crossing, an interference pattern of energies. And you have both pravriti waves and nivriti waves simultaneously in the field. And this is, is produces, depending on the wave that you're riding as an individual uh, dreamy within that pulse of energy that is the world, will determine your perception of reality. But that sphere will again return to the source. We call that the omega point, or at least they are Chardin called it that, and it's not a bad name for it. And the word omega, or the letter omega in Greek, comes from om, from the Sanskrit, which is the, the three aspects of time as one of its meanings. And it returns to that point, which we then call the singularity. But that, that central zero point is eternal and never changes but the Spanda, the goddess, separates from Shiva and then returns and consummates union. That is what is happening. Systole and diastole, you could call it as well. The gods breathing in and out. And they say in the they use a different set of phrases. They say when, when Shiva uh, closes his eyes, uh, which they refer to as the Unmesha state, with a, a dot under the S. When Shiva closes his eyes, that's when the pulse is emitted. Shiva is now asleep and dreaming, and the world is Shiva's dream. And at some point, when the chaos becomes too great, and Shiva begins to pull Shakti back into himself, he opens his eyes, that's called the Nimesha state, and as soon as God opens his eyes, the universe disappears. So it's not really a destruction of the universe, it's simply God awakening from his own dream. And, and that awakening happens when the dream has become a nightmare, has become too chaotic and has lost its uh, archetypal coherence and beauty and goodness. And then Shiva wakes up and, uh, and then emits another pulse and says, let's do it all over again. So we are now in the final moments before the Omega point. In, in which these uh, pravritti and nivritti waves are both present, and there is both the ability to be in the state of the unmesha or the nimesha.
And when one is in the Nimesha state, by having returned to the zero point, then for that individual level of consciousness, <clears throat> the universe will no longer have any reality or any effect upon one's being. One will have awakened from the dream, even if a, a phenomenal field of energy remains, but <clears throat> it will be perceived as it really is. And in the same way that on your computer, you can, you can go to some website or some video and, uh, and you'll see a, 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 a story, a scene, as if you're in some space, <clears throat> and then you turn it off and it's just a bunch of dormant pixels, right? In the same way, the world is made up, we would say, of voxels, which is a pixel that has volume. And uh, when the energy strikes these voxels, they create collapsed waveforms, which produce uh, entities, beings, animate and inanimate, all of the aspects of, of the universe. Uh, made up of the energy and the intelligence of that infinite consciousness. Uh, and, and it begins to morph depending on where the wave is, but there's a, a constant morphing. And as the morphing becomes more accelerated in, in the end, as, uh, as the energy pulls back into Shiva, there's an acceleration of time, more Things happen per minute than, than one can even keep track of. Everything is shifting. The ground is literally shaking under us and, uh, and the world is changing too quickly to, to even know where we stand with anything because uh, nothing stays the same. <clears throat> and one of the key uh, uh, elements... Well, before I go there, let me say that at the end, Shiva manifests in two forms. Uh, and, and this is the time when uh, the, the union of Shiva and Shakti create, a, as, the, as the pulse of the spanda returns to the source, create a, an electromagnetic energy field that produces extraordinary paranormal effects, signs and wonders, synchronicities, extraordinary events within the phenomenal dream field that are awesome, astonishing, unprecedented. And uh, the, the field, depending on whether you're riding a pravritti or a nivritti wave, will produce an effect that is referred to in, uh, in the uh, Kashmiri tradition as the Tandava, the dance of Shiva. This is the dance of Shiva now. He's dancing the Tandava on the dwarf, <clears throat> which is the human ego. And uh, within a ring of fire, the universe is being both destroyed and redreamed through the dance. And so they say there are two forms of Tandava. There is the Rudra Tandava and there is the Ananda Tandava. So we are experiencing the dance of Shiva 
either as a, a waltz of love or as a wild uh, uh, death rock uh, metal uh, destructive sounds. But the Tandava, the dance of transformation that both ends uh, the world of Kali Yuga and dances into creative manifestation, a new Satyuga, is all happening now at the same time. And so in the Kashmir wisdom schools, the Trika Shaivite schools, they say that at the end Shiva appears in two forms. One form is Bhairava, which is the, a later edition of Rudra. Rudra is from the Vedas and, and uh, Bhairava, which has a lot of esoteric meaning, but I won't digress into that. Let's see, Bhairava. This is the fearsome form of, of Shiva, the destructive form, the form of, uh, well, for a yogi, fierce equanimity, but it's fearlessness and, uh, and it is uh, a complete joy in seeing uh, a hell realm be destroyed. It's not at all uh, something to be uh, unhappy about. And Shiva also appears to yogis in the form of Shankara. Shankara is one of the epithets of Shiva that we don't talk about all that much, but it's probably the most important one. And if you remember the Sanskrit, Shan is, is from the same word we get Shanti. And so Shankara is the bringer of peace. He gives peace to your heart in the midst of the difficult situation when the world is falling apart and everyone around you is falling apart uh, and Shiva uh, enables you to remain in serenity and detachment and non-reactivity. So Shankara is the one that yogis want to invoke. But when there are uh, adverse conditions, one then wants to be able to invoke Bhairava and face that with fearlessness and authority. So we need to recognize that these are two faces of God, that both of them are our own uh, nature, and that we have to be able to wisely discern when it is appropriate to show which face. So that was Shunyamurti talking about the dance of Shiva. And it's a lot of, lot of good words. Well, what does it mean in, in practice? What does it mean? It means that we're living in the end of the Kali Yuga and the beginning of the next Yuga, according to this system. I have no way of knowing whether that's true or not. It certainly feels like Kali Yuga or whatever definition you want to give to that. And uh, it feels like there's a lot of change going on, but it, it's always felt like there's a lot of change going on. My entire life has been, uh, from 1965 onwards, 
It's like you what the Vietnam War, the whole shift in everything in the in the sixties that I wasn't really aware of because I was five years old when nineteen seventy happened. But I was aware of the Vietnam War. I used to come in from school when I was seven or six or seven years old and uh, my my dad would have the news on at tea time and there'd be footage of people being uh being bombed in Vietnam so I, I like I was a child I was watch, watching this war footage and uh I didn't understand it I knew I knew the world was a dangerous place just by seeing what was going on but I didn't really understand it just because I was too young but that feeling of the world being a dangerous place <coughs> stuck with me for the next 50 years. And it still feels like in part it's a dangerous place, but most of it isn't. And my, my mistake was to internalize the world as a dangerous place as everywhere in the world and everybody in the world is a dangerous place. And that affected me quite profoundly. And I've had to let go of that slowly over the next 50 years. And it's been, unfortunately, when you make that assumption, when you're a child, you don't realize you're making it. You don't even know it's there. And uh, it becomes a confirmation bias. So I've been in a lot of situations where my, conf my confirmation was that the world's a dangerous place. But actually, if I'd looked at it from the world isn't a dangerous place, that would have been in the thing that was being confirmed. So I think the world's pretty much neutral, apart from the odd place here and there, where there's a war zone or a famine or, or whatever, or an earthquake or a, a fire, where it becomes dangerous temporarily. And obviously there's uh, there's a situation, well, situation with disease. Does disease even exist? So I personally I came to the conclusion that, that viruses don't exist and germ theory is a load of nonsense. But that took me a while. Took me a while to get there. Took me a, a couple of years of thinking about it seriously. And I'm already coming from a, a monist philosophical point of view, so it, but it still took me a couple of years of thinking about it seriously. It's like, how can I be seeing people catching colds from one another if viruses don't exist and infectious disease doesn't exist? What am I seeing that I'm interpreting or making assumptions about? So the, the answer is people get symptoms. And there's some kind of resonance going on subconsciously, I think. So it's not quite telepathy, but it's a it's a resonance with each other. So we've all we've all got a particular kind of frequency band that we range up and down within. And if that frequency band includes you get you get at least one summer cold as an assumption 
then you're probably going to get at least one summer cold, or the symptoms of a summer cold, even though it's not actually an infectious disease. It's a it's a clearing out process for your lungs mostly, and your stomach probably as well. But it, the interpretation that that's an infectious disease comes from looking for evil spirits. It's a medieval thing. It's a medieval Christian thing. Which I don't see the need to keep hold of. I, I don't really look for evil spirits. If there's evil spirits there, I'm probably going to see them. I don't need to go looking for them. Uh, and I don't, I don't tend to interpret the world in that way. I see mostly, I see the world as and the world meaning in this context, Brahman or the dance of Shiva. I see, I see it all as necessary. So it's all about necessity. So death is necessary. Bacteria are necessary for decomposing bodies. Otherwise, we just have millions of dead, dead human bodies and dead animal bodies everywhere. So you need the bacteria to decompose the corpses. You, you need death because you would just have too many people otherwise. Death's a necessary part of the process. So none of it's evil. None of it's, none of it's demons or Satan or anything like that. It's all just a necessary process. At which point it becomes a good process. So not even neutral. It's a, it's a positive process that's necessary in a positive way. So anyway, that's that's where I stand on, on that particular point at the moment. Um, I've got another piece that I'm going to play, which is from Saturday Night Live. I think this is from the 90s or the or the late 80s. It's quite. A, I don't I don't know exactly where it's when it's from, but it's, it seems quite appropriate. This just uh, explains how the media works. In a in quite a, an amusing way, so here we go. This is from Saturday Night Live. Use them to say whatever they please and put down the opinions of anyone who disagrees. Or stuff about PCBs. What are PCBs? They come from electric power plants built by Westinghouse and GE. They can give you lots of cancer that can hurt your body. But on network TV, you'll rarely hear anything bad about the nuclear industry. Like when Westinghouse was super fraud. Which time? He made defective bolts, it was an unreported crime. Or when it was boycotted for operating nuclear bomb plants just to squeeze a dime. That's a footnote, by the way. A footnote protects you from folks who doubt what you say. Now maybe the voices in my head will go away. But the big shots don't care. They're all sitting pretty thanks to corporate welfare. What's that now? They get the 
bullets that shot JFK. <laughs> There you go. A little bit of Saturday Night Live. Let's have a little bit of blues now. show will be will be varied and it's going to stay varied and uh, yeah it's it is it is my head so <laughs> you're going to go wherever wherever my head goes ultimately at the moment i'm watching i'm watching a lot of old black and white movies uh i woke up early this morning so i watched quatermass quatermass 2 enemy from space which is an old like 1964 64 I think it was made something like that and it's it's allegedly set near Carlisle but they kept going backwards and forwards to London almost every day which you would never do if you were actually in anywhere near Carlisle Carlisle's about 50 miles away from where I am at the moment and it's about 300 350 miles from London so you wouldn't go backwards and forwards in a car from Carlisle to London, you just would not do it. So it clearly wasn't set in Carlisle, but they were using Carlisle as a convenient reference point for for a a, a big kind of uh, domed factory that was allegedly making uh, artificial food that turned out to have a, an alien presence running it and uh controlling the workers and uh kind of turning turning the workers into zombies anyway so that was how i started my day this morning and uh yeah it's a it's a good movie it's a it's quite hard work because it's the dialogue's quite stilted and very 60s and it was I don't think this one was originally a, a play, play for the day or a, a BBC Playhouse production. They used to do like radio plays for television was the idea in the 60s. So they would do one-off TV plays. Uh, Quatermass originally started like that, I think. But I don't know whether the second one was a play on the BBC or whether it was just directly... Uh, into a, it was made by Hammer, which is more known for 
for horror movies. But in the early, in the mid sixties, they were making kind of TV spin-off movies, and uh, they they got into the the horror genre a bit later on. Uh, but the whole thing's interesting. The Sid James was in this this movie this morning as well. Sid James is known from uh, Music Hall. He actually died on stage in Sunderland, which is about. 15 miles away from here at the Sunderland Empire. I think he had a heart attack live on stage during a show at the Sunderland Empire, if I remember rightly, or or he ran off stage and had a heart attack or whatever. There was something about the Sunderland Empire and St. James that I remember. Anyway, that's that's kind of that. I didn't manage to get anything done with the with the podcast this week. I've been a little bit occupied still with my my bladder situation, so it's distracting me from doing the stuff that I was getting a lot of momentum with. So it's completely slowed me down. But can't it can't be helped? It just is what it is. So I'm now kind of refocused a little bit more physically. As I said last week, uh, I'm still looking at the, the venom hypothesis. Uh, I'm pretty much sure that there is no virus, so it has to be, it has to have been uh, a categorization fraud and a PCR test fraud, plus maybe some something else going on. Maybe venom, maybe something else. I don't know, but there was a combination of a cup of two or three things that were going on. Uh, maybe some kind of uh, toxin that was being planted in in specific communities i don't know anyway so i shall keep trying my best to to do some stuff with the podcast you can find my podcast on uh, on google and apple it's called free association radio show podcast and round table and uh, i do post interesting stuff on there it's, the statistics have been going bananas this week I've been getting like 120 downloads a day on some days, but I haven't really done anything with it. I posted last week's shows, and then I posted something on Monday, and that's about it. But the stats have been going up to 100, 120 downloads a day. So that's pretty good going. I'm, I'm rapidly approaching 50,000 downloads in total for that podcast, which I think is pretty good going. In what, two and a half years? That's not bad at all. So I've I've ridden the wave a little bit of, of that. So that's more or less where we are. Revolution Radio is uh, a listener-supported station, so if you do want to support what we're doing, we all do this for love. Nobody gets paid. Uh, so everything that's contributed goes to cover bandwidth and servers and whatever technical stuff needs to happen. To, to keep the two two stations on air, two yeah two studios on air, so you can go to Revolution Radio, have a look at the menu on the top of the page, the nav bar, and you'll find the donations tab on there to to make a contribution if you can, and if you can do it on a regular basis, that takes the guesswork out of things and and helps the the management to plan a little bit more and uh, it helps the station out out massively 
if you can't make a financial contribution, come down and say hello in the chat room and uh, chip into the conversations there. And yeah, that's pretty much it. That's everything I want to say for this week. It's been a it's been a talky show, but we're more or less at the end of it now. So I want to finish with some more blues. I think. Jean Lindsay, the Cosmic Oracle. If you have questions about your past lives or future plans, need answers from the cosmos about your love life or career, or just want to keep your finger on the pulse of the planet, check out my show, The Cosmic Oracle, here on Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. I am Bill Johnson. Some consider my efforts to be an underground law school. I am not an attorney and I do not give legal advice. I teach. That's lawful and legal. Consider yourself served. You are to appear Wednesday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern, Studio A. My forte? Foreclosure and contract law. Grab your legal pad and pen. Learn a broad spectrum of law spanning administrative, criminal, family, tort, and federal law. Fools and losers cling to old cases. I dissect and comment on the latest rulings that control the courts. Don't be a loser. And if you don't appear, you will be held in contempt. Are you interested in the paranormal? Murder mystery? Real natural law? Do you enjoy interviews with amazing guests? Then join Crypt Rick every Monday night, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on Revolution Radio. Studio A, freedomslips.com. Crypt Rick's iPhone Thinking. Welcome to the Crypt. <laughs> the Secret Kindergarten is here for the young children of the world. 